Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Good evening, everyone. We've got a lot to get to on this Monday night. In a moment, I'll be joined by Senator Elizabeth Warren. And later, Governor Gavin Newsom joins me live to respond to a new recall effort by California Republicans, fueled in part by his attempt to contain the coronavirus pandemic in the state. But we begin the readout tonight with breaking news, history in the making. New Mexico Congresswoman Deb Holland is now Interior Secretary Holland, the first indigenous person to ever hold a spot in a White House cabinet. We begin this evening also with a monumental moment in the national fight against COVID. The American Rescue Plan rollout has begun with President Biden kicking off his national tour to tout the relief package and making big promises for the days ahead. Over the next 10 days, we'll reach two goals, two giant goals. The first is 100 million shots in people's arms will have been completed within the next 10 days. And 100 million checks in people's pockets in the next 100 days. Shots in arms and money in pockets. That's important. The American Rescue Plan is already doing what it was designed to do, make a difference in people's everyday lives. For some Americans, the relief was immediate with stimmy checks hitting their bank accounts over the weekend. But challenges remain to ensure that the aid is properly implemented for the millions of Americans who are unemployed, behind on rent and facing eviction or financial ruin. For them, this aid could not come soon enough. But try and tell that to the big banks, some of which are holding some of those checks, even though the funds have already been deposited by the federal government, while others who rely on paper checks could face check cashing fees. And for those desperate for your tax refund, not so fast. The IRS cranking out those stimulus checks is causing delays in this tax filing season, leaving nearly 7 million tax filers in limbo, at least for the moment. Joining me now is the one person we know has a plan for all that, because she always has a plan, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Senator Warren, thank you so much for being here. I have to point a personal privilege, say that uh, you left me in a crying, blubbering mass uh, when you were on with Nicole last week, talking about your brother. Your brother seems like a wonderful person. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for telling that story. It was really, really beautiful. Um, oh, uh, and I want to give you a quick moment of course, I want to give you a moment to quickly big up, uh, give you a moment to big up Deb Holland, your campaign co-chair. She's now Interior Secretary. What 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 do you think? What does that mean? You know, when you talk about something being historic, that's what this is. Obviously, the first Native woman to hold a position like this in a cabinet and to be head of the Interior Department. That did so much through the generations to try to undercut. The, the strength, the, the health, uh, the survival of the tribal nations. And now it's not just Deb being there. This is not simply about having a figurehead. This is about having someone who has this moment where she actually can reset the relationship between the United States and the tribal nations. A woman who 
down to her toes, believes in making our lands work and preserving them for generations and generations to come. You know, Deb speaks of herself and always talks about how she is a 35th generation New Mexican, that her people have lived on that land for at least 35 years, uh, 35 generations, which is a way of seeing how she will think about the public lands, how she will think about how we build a future that's not sustainable over a month or a yeah. year, but how it's sustainable for generations to come. I love it. And I love Deb. Well, I, I'm glad that you said the word sustainable because I, I, I'm so glad that you uh, were available to talk to tonight because all weekend people were tagging me and tagging you uh, on some of the same tweets. Because when you talk about sustainability, this $1.9 trillion is, I mean, it's huge. There's no way to underplay what a big deal this is and what a big progressive victory it is. But, you know, some of the sort of um, the, the catch for a lot of people who are not high income is either they're banking with a bank that is not giving them their money, including Chase um, and Wells Fargo, who are holding the stimulus checks because they have a policy that they don't release it right away. And for some people, you know, back in, the, in my broke days, I can remember waiting for a check to clear. It can be it can feel like forever. And then you've got mm -hmm. these other institutions that are charging check cashing fees, which is going to eat away that money. People were tweeting you and me and saying, how is that legal? So my question is, how is that legal? Because it's legal because the big banks call the shots in Washington. And that's how the regulations have remained. So we have two responses to this. Response number one, fix it yourself. Change your bank. Ask this question about how quick they'll give credit. Go to a credit union. Go to a member-owned credit union. You can make a real difference. Go to a local bank that says, I will give you credit. That's number one. But number two, it's on us in Washington. It's on the bank regulators. We need to force these banks to give quicker credit on checks. That would be one of the most helpful things we could do for middle-class families, for working-class families, and for poor families. So... Let's do it in Washington, but you do it at home. So good. that's some good advice. I know online banks and some of the other ones are, 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 pick, are, are yeah. sort of making that pitch as well. The other kind of um, big issue um, when it comes to big change, and you talked a lot when you're running for president, you always talk about big structural change. Um, for a lot of people, the one thing that didn't make it in that bill that people really wanted and needed was that $15 an hour minimum wage. Yeah. And people who are earning that, you know, when you, you net that out per month or per year, it's not a lot of money even, even if we got that, right? So to get that, you'd have to get through Joe Manchin, who says he ain't never getting rid of, he's never going to let go of the filibuster. Is there anything we can do? There's so many big bills that are sitting there waiting to come through. H.R. 1, the For the People Act, Bipartisan Checks Act, um, the, the, the George Floyd Justice Act. There's so many good bills that have come out of the House. If we're not going to get rid of the um, filibuster, then then what? Well, Joy, you've put it exactly right. Our problem is not just a $15 an hour minimum wage. Our problem is the filibuster because it blocks us on everything that doesn't fit through. Everyone had to learn the word last weekend, reconciliation, right? Yeah. So we really want to make changes to protect the vote. We really want to make changes on gun safety. We really want to make changes on immigration. We really want to make changes on child care. We have got to deal with filibuster. Here's the good news. Democrats know that. 
The discussions are now going on on our side about what we can do. Now, you know where I am and where I've been for a long time. We just need to pitch the thing out. It was born of racism and a way to try to keep the South uh, happy, the Southern senators, by giving them extraordinary power to be able to block any civil rights legislation or any anti-lynching legislation. And that's what it was used for right up until the mid-1960s. And now Mitch McConnell and the Republicans have resuscitated it with a vengeance, first to use it against President Obama and have indicated they're going to use it against President Biden. That means it is on us to stop this. We're in Washington to fulfill our promises to the American people, to make this government work for them, not to give Mitch McConnell a veto. So stay tuned. You know where I am in this fight, and um, yeah. nobody's given up at this point. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, we hear Jeff Merkley and yourself and others are sort of working on some plans. So we'll, we'll definitely uh, stay posted on that. Uh, another issue that you, you talk about this a lot, because again, structurally, you know, the challenge with everything previous to this bill, which is that, you know, Democrats felt they had to build in lots of, you know, tax cuts and things to help upper income people. This time it really is sort of a bottom up thing, but a lot of it's temporary. So you're gonna have to make some of these tax credits permanent. But you've also gone further than that and said there needs to be a wealth tax on top. You were tweeting about it this weekend. Janet Yellen expressed some skepticism. I'm going to let you listen. This is Janet Yellen. Um, I think we have this audio. This is her talking about the wealth tax. Uh, oh, it's a graphic. Okay, so let me find it. Let me find it. Let me find it. We're going to put it up just a second. So she expressed a little bit of skepticism when it comes to having a wealth tax. She said that Biden is still open to it, the president, um, but even without one, wealthy Americans will likely face tax hikes. She didn't seem super enthusiastic. Do you think a wealth tax is even possible when Joe Manchin exists? <laughs> oh, yes, I do. Look, Let's remind everybody what the wealth tax is, and that is this is for fortunes bigger than $50 million. Your first $50 million is free and clear, but your $50 millionth and first dollar, you got to pay two cents. Add two cents on every dollar of wealth above that till you hit a billion, then you got to add a little bit more. This would affect the top one-tenth of one percent in America, and it would be a way to raise about $3 trillion in revenue. Keep in mind, Joe Biden ran on raising taxes on the people at the very top and on giant corporations. Taxes wouldn't go up on a wealth tax for 99.9% of Americans. You just can't do much better on raising taxes only for those at the top. There's not another plan on the table that says that. So I think this is in line with what Joe Biden ran on, and I think it would be good for America. So I'm I'm feeling good about this one. You know, I feel like the media cares a lot more about bipartisanship than regular people. I think if you go and ask people, like, what are their priorities? Bipartisanship probably never makes the list. Uh, but it's it, it's a thing that is floating out there. And so we have to talk about where sort of Republicans are on things sometimes, right? There are Republicans who are out there trying to repeal the wealth tax permanently. Like, it would help, like, 400 families. Like, you know, they, yeah. th their priorities are still unchanged from before. So do you, would, would it would it would it help? Um, the majority of people, if we in the media weren't so focused on it, or do you think bipartisanship actually is a thing that matters and that is important in legislating? I think we need to expand our vision of what constitutes bipartisanship. You know, the American Rescue Plan that just came through, 
It was a deeply bipartisan plan. That is, it was supported by Democrats, independents, and Republicans across this nation. The one group that was out of step were Republican elected officials in Washington. They were the ones who were unanimously opposed for their own political reasons. Same thing is true on the wealth tax. The best polls I've seen show that the wealth tax is popular across America, and that means Democrats, independents, and Republicans. The question is, these guys in Washington who are elected officials, who are Republicans, and they want to veto. And why do they want to veto everything that comes through? They know that there were good things in the American Rescue Plan. Shoot, some of them tweeted about the good things, not mentioning that they voted against them. They know the same thing about the wealth tax. They get why it is popular that the 99% paid 7.2% of their total wealth in taxes last year. That top one-tenth of 1% 1 paid 3.2%, less than half. They get why this stuff is popular. But right now, they're in the politics game of trying to say to veto everything that Joe Biden wants to do, just like they did to Barack Obama. We are not going to permit this. This goes right back to your question about filibuster. I'm glad to have Republicans join us, but they've got to be willing to come and get serious about legislation, not just to be there to try to block everything. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. And, and, and one more thing that I think is bipartisan, people want their mail. Um, and, and I mean, I talked to a lot of people who still are getting things late. It's still very gummed up. Uh, Louis DeJoy thinks he's staying and he's not going anywhere. But President Biden has now put in three nominees. He's got enough where they get a majority that could get rid of DeJoy. Are we near the end of DeJoy's uh, tenure running the Postal Service? I hope so. It is time. We need our mail on time. And that means we need to show DeJoy the door. Succinctly said. Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, I want to thank you for spending some time this evening. Always love talking with you. Thank you so much. Oh. And
And coming up, and thank you. And coming up next, California Governor Gavin Newsom joins me in a readout exclusive, the surge in border crossings, the easing of COVID restrictions, and how he's fighting back against a recall effort. Plus, tonight's absolute worst was not even close. The senator blurts out exactly how it feels about black people. And we've just got to love the honesty. You're going to want to stick around for this one. And Republican voter suppression efforts are happening everywhere. But I'll tell you why the good guys might just be winning this war. The readout continues after this. When COVID-19 broke out a year ago, California was among the earliest and hardest hit states. Since then, it's been one of the most aggressive about listening to the science to push back against the pandemic. In fact, California was the first to enact a statewide stay at home order. Of course, it also faced one of the fiercest backlashes for those precautionary measures. You know why we're under this lockdown right now? Because all the information is coming out about COVID and they know it's a farce. I'm not putting that on my face. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm a healthy person. I'm not crazy. This is like psychosis to, for everyone to put all this stuff on their face when they're healthy. I don't want to wear a mask. This is America. I don't have to do what you say. If you're While the state has seen both improvements and setbacks over the past year, they are now on a good path with numbers of cases, hospitalizations and deaths all heading down. And that leads us to California's governor, Gavin Newsom, who now is facing his sixth recall effort, which is partially being fueled by the mandates that he put in place. Those recall efforts have been supported by quite the eclectic group of people. An L.A. Times investigation found that recall campaign leaders seeking to capitalize on the darkening political mood allied with radical and extreme elements early on to help collect signatures. Those included groups promoting distrust of government, science and medicine, peddlers of QAnon doomsday conspiracies, patriots readying for battle, and one organization allied with the far-right extremist group, the Proud Boys. Joining me now is Governor Gavin Newsom of California. Governor Newsom, uh, great to see you virtually, and thank you so much. Really appreciate you spending some time with us this evening. Uh, and, and I want to start right there at where we kind of end that, that open. Um, we just saw the United States Capitol besieged a couple of months ago by people representing the same collection of folks that you're now facing. Um, wh- how much is that impacting security? Uh, in the California Capitol, are you fearful that this group is not just interested in the politics of a recall, but could actually become as violent as they did in our nation's capital? Well, all of us are vigilant and all of us are obviously in heightened awareness and concern. And all this, of course, predates uh, even the insurrection in January. Uh, we've been monitoring white supremacist groups in the state of California for years and years and years. And there is a surprising number of them, uh, even proximate to the state capitol. And a number of them quite literally, not figuratively, and I appreciate this setup, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, these other right-wing militia groups are behind now this sixth recall effort in in California. But moreover, we're just concerned about violence moving into the future as we move farther and farther away from the January insurrection and we put down our guard. We must remain vigilant about these groups and how serious uh, they are, how bent they are uh, on, well, doing what they can to promote their perspective. 
They're also, of course, politically, you know, um, they, they, they dislike you and they want you to be recalled. There's been six of these. California is a unique state. It's sort of a nation yeah. state. Like it could be a country. It's so big. It's so incredibly diverse. But on the side that is behind these recalls, what they were saying in the L.A. Times and the quotes is, well, we're not those aren't our people, but we're willing to tolerate them. Why should we kick them out? It's kind of what you hear national Republicans say about Donald Trump and what they would say about groups like the Proud Boys nationally. So I wonder if you think that, you know, Trump actually turned out to have a pretty strong political pull, um, even though there were a lot of really oddball people with him. Um, what do you make of this recall and whether or not it has a shot? Because I think a lot of people would be kind of terrified of the idea of a nation state like California being run by people like this. Vote to recall is only at 38 percent. It would need to get a lot higher. Vote to keep is at 42. Are you concerned about this as a real political challenge to yourself or what? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we had a recent example in 2003, and we ended up with Arnold Schwarzenegger as governor. Uh, Gray Davis was recalled. And, uh, you know, the reality at the end of the day in California, it's the easiest state in America to put a recall petition on the ballot. There are 19 states where you can do it. Uh, all you need is about a quarter of the people that just supported Trump to sign a petition. And it appears that they've done that in this state. As you noted, this is the sixth recall attempt since I've been governor. And by the way, I've only been governor 25 months, so it's been a very short period of time. But this one is serious, and it's serious for many different reasons. It's the uncertainty uh, of being on the ballot uh, with a question up or down, but also the folks behind it. I mean, let me be just more candid and more direct. The principal sponsor of this recall effort wants to put microchips in immigrant aliens. Uh, we have folks that are literally part of the 3% militia group, right-wing group, that are part of the principal proponents of this effort. But here's, Joy, why we should be more concerned about it. Where it has a lot to do with me, it has a lot to do with everybody watching. It has to do with our values as Democrats. The RNC is the second largest donor to this effort. The Huck Pack, Mike Huckabee, Newt Gingrich is out there. Devin Nunes, uh, Trump mega donors have put in close to $3 million in this effort. So yes, I'm taking it very seriously. And you just described a lot of people who are also fueling um, what can only be described as sort of a counterfactual on COVID, right? There's There's been a lot of downplaying oh, yeah. when Donald Trump was president. There's been a lot of anti-mask, anti-vaccine, to the point now where among Republican men, only 30 yeah. percent say that they would take the vaccine. You've seen, we showed a little bit of a clip of people sort of flipping out in stores, not wanting to wear masks. Can you talk about the complication of getting a huge population like yours vaccinated with that going on? No, it's a great point. Look, I, I live, and you said this just a moment ago, I live in not only the largest state in America, 40 million, but the most diverse state in the world's most diverse democracy, where the equivalent in population of 21 states combined. And so when you deal with diversity across the spectrum, including ideological diversity, uh, you had dozens of counties of our 58 that supported Donald Trump overwhelmingly so. So we're dealing with anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers. We're dealing with people that promote and support the insurrection against the U.S. Capitol. And so you're dealing with all kinds of complexities. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with the vestiges of the last year plus, where we had so much intentional misinformation about non-pharmaceutical interventions like wearing face coverings and masks. And invariably, now the mix uh, messages that the president, former president, that is Donald Trump, is sending as it relates to his own efforts to get vaccinated, but to do so without the light of any camera or day. And so that's leading to more complexity 
complexity. And the reality is in six weeks, we're going to go from scarcity on vaccines in this country to abundance. And when we're in that abundance mindset, the challenge for us is to be convinced those that are hesitant. And it turns out the most difficult may indeed be political in the context of an ideological frame, not just a racial and an ethnic frame, as we had previously predicted. You know, California is is diverse, as you said. It's also diverse in terms of what it offers resource-wise. It's a huge tourist uh, economy. It's a huge yeah. sports economy. We just did a list of how many sports teams are in California. I've forgotten how, yeah. like, half of them. Um, you've got Disneyland. You've got Universal. There's How how open is California going to be, um, let's say, by July, the date that the president has said we'll have a more or less normal life? Well, look, we're down to 2% positivity. There are only three states that have lower positivity rate, 80% down in hospitals, 77% in our ICUs. Uh, our case rates are now among the lowest per capita in America. So we're not only stabilizing, but we are reopening, but thoughtfully and strategically mindful of the public health realities of these mutations and these variants. And we're tracking six here in California, not just UK, Brazil, not just uh, those like South African, but a West Coast variant and, of course, the New York variant. And so we're mindful of that reality. 37 of our 58 counties have moved to the least restrictive or the less restrictive tier. And I imagine by July, if our vaccination rates continue and we've done 11.2, almost excuse me, 12.2 million vaccinations. If we continue in the pace that we've been, I have all the confidence the vast majority of our sectors of the economy, still with modifications, will be open, including those sports venues, appropriately outdoors with the appropriate modifications in mind. All right. We, we, I have a lot more questions, so I'm going to ask you to stick around just for a moment. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Governor Newsom, um, and, and I have more questions for you, so please, please stay with us. And I want to ask uh, about uh, the governor, about his plans for dealing with the migrant surge, including unaccompanied minors at the southern border, creating a new crisis as overstressed facilities struggle to help those on both sides of the border. And that will be right after the break. So stay with us. The Biden administration is facing a brewing crisis at the border, where, according to multiple reports, more than 4,200 unaccompanied minor children are being held in U.S. custody in jail-like facilities not intended for kids. Almost 3,000 of those children have been in these facilities for longer than the 72 hours they're legally allowed to be there. Today, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy led a coalition down to the border to stage some right-wing theater before predictably blaming President Biden. But the situation is a lot more nuanced than any political stunt. Last month, the Biden administration reversed a Trump-era policy that immediately expelled unaccompanied children, and that reversal led to an influx of children at the border. The administration has acknowledged that the surge may be related to the change in policy. But the border is far from open, with the U.S. continuing to follow Trump's policy of immediately expelling most adults and families who cross the border. This weekend, the Biden administration announced that FEMA will help shelter and transfer the unaccompanied children. They're also considering opening up new facilities, including one at a NASA airfield in the Bay Area of California. And back with me is California Governor Gavin Newsom. I want to let you respond to um, Ken, Ken McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, coming to yeah. California, his, his home state and yours, uh, <laughs> to critique the border crisis. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, and offering nothing except a criticism. Absolutely nothing. He should be going to Washington, D.C. to support a farm worker bill and a dreamer bill, uh, two things he can do as a congressional leader. Uh, at the end of the day, it was just more of the same demagoguing an issue that they substantially contributed to and created. Uh, with all due respect, they had the opportunity a few years ago to promote and support comprehensive immigration reform that would have landed us in a very different place. You got a new administration just six weeks, just six weeks into their term. And this is not unique. In 2014, 2016, I think 18, a little bit of 19, we had similar surges. So we're going to have to work through this. I am mindful of our collective responsibility. While it's the federal government's role, at the end of the day, border state governors like myself also play a unique role in not having a closed fist, but an open hand to help support uh, these migrant facilities, to support our humanitarian efforts. And I appreciate you just referencing some of those efforts, identifying locations within the state of California including in Mountain View, uh, at a location that's more suitable uh, for these children and for these teenagers, and in some cases, adults as well. So we have a lot of work to do. This is a serious issue. At the end of the day, we need less politics, and we need folks to come together and address the root causes and address this crisis before it manifests even more acutely. And my mistake, he, uh, Kevin McCarthy is in El Paso, not in California. But obviously, yeah. the migrant crisis impacts your state uh, a lot. How much, how much authority do you have as governor? And how much authority does the state have in dealing with the border crisis and dealing with these young people? Or is this a fully, you know, what is the balance between the state and what you guys can, uh, the state and what the federal government are doing? Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, we're, we're victims of federal policy at the end of the day. Uh, we also have agency. I mean, this, you know, California, one of the reasons this recall is happening, this, by the way, the re this recall, it's like they ended up on the ballot, predated the pandemic. And the number one grievance was the browning of California, immigration. Uh, in some ways, California, uh, with two and a half plus million people here without documentation, with so many mixed status families, as a dominant state as it relates to farm workers and it relates to agriculture, as well as newcomers uh, that have blessed us uh, through the innovation and the entrepreneurial spirit that defines California's economic growth and America's great success, we're uniquely positioned to be creative. And so we've developed strategies and partnerships for migrant facilities. We're addressing issues related to COVID testing for people that are crossing the border. We're providing supplemental support for staffing to help some of these children. So we're currently children and working with the Biden administration. In fact, I was just on the phone an hour or two ago with the vice president on this topic, working with them to be partners, not sparring partners, but working partners to address this crisis and see if we can supplement some of their efforts. And I know you're working together, but, you know, do you have any criticisms of the way in which they have transitioned from the absolute no Trump policy to the policies they have now? You know, I was watching a Vice News special um, where it made it pretty clear that there's a sense that there's more openness with President Biden in office that is in some senses pulling people over. Do you think that the Biden administration properly communicated, um, including to their counterparts in Mexico, about what the change meant? And do you think they've handled the border situation well? I think this was inevitable, regardless of the calibration of the federal administration as it relates to the extreme rhetoric 
and bigotry, respectfully, uh, of the Trump administration in the Trump years. This was a natural reaction to that. Uh, and while there is some calibration, obviously, over the last six weeks as we move forward, we need to be mindful of that and consider some of that. At the end of the day, we have to deal with some of the root causes here. I had the pleasure, the privilege as governor going down to El Salvador, going to the Northern Tri Triangle to understand what's really going on. And until we fundamentally address that issue and the need to comprehensively change our immigration policies here within the United States of America, we're going to have surges like the surges we had in 14, 16, 18, and a little bit of 19. And we'll continue to struggle and suffer through the consequences of that. At the end of the day, this requires seriousness of purpose, a little less politics, a little less demagoguery, requires some adults in the room to deal with a systemic issue that transcends administration, goes back decades, and requires a little humanity. And humanity, with all due respect to those Republicans that were down there on the border that had their hearts broken, to suggest that somehow the Trump administration didn't break their heart completely uh, is remarkable indeed. And so with all due respect to the theater that's not the way we're going to solve this with press conferences at the border. We're going to solve it by good people coming together across differences. Um, speaking of things that are divisive in terms of issues, um, I know that you have, uh, you know, announced that you would like to see a major push toward uh, moving to a fully electrical fleet. Um, oh, yeah. I think you've set a, a date certain that you'd like to see that all, uh, no more gas powered cars by 2035. I'm sure that that's certain to animate the same people who would like to oust you from the governorship. How is it possible to implement that kind of a change in a country that is so dependent on the oil and gas industry and the auto and an auto industry that may or may not want to make that change? wholesale. Well, this is California. So goes California. So goes the nation. Uh, we are truly uh, a nation state. We punch above our weight when it comes to environmental policy. Low carbon, green growth is not just a mantra. We want to deliver on it. The world is running a fever, not just with COVID as it relates to the issue of global climate change. And the end of the day, it's impacting the West Coast of the United States disproportionately. Hots are getting hotter, dries are getting drier, the wets are getting wetter with these atmospheric rivers. Just think of the smash mouth realities that we experienced last year, not just in California, but Colorado and elsewhere with these wildfires. So we gotta get serious about it. And if you're gonna get serious about it, you gotta deal with the number one contributor, at least in California, to greenhouse gas emissions, and that's tailpipe emissions, which all in is 50 plus percent of our emissions when you consider extraction and you consider the emissions directly from vehicles. So yeah, we did the something no other state's ever done. And we said on 2035, we're gonna stop selling internal combustion engines. And we're gonna move to dominate the next big global industry. It's not about electric power, it's about economic power. And that's the transfer from fossil fuel gas guzzling cars that destroy our environment and hurt poor people disproportionately because of bad air and dirty water. And we're gonna dominate that clean, low carbon, green growth future. Okay, we are out of time, out of time, out of time. I have to go to a break, but I have to, this is a yes or no answer that you could give me. Yeah. Uh, if, in fact, Dianne Feinstein uh, were to retire, uh, will you nominate an African-American woman um, to restore the seat that Kamala Harris is no longer in the United States Senate? And do you have a name in mind? I have multiple names yes in yes mind. No. We have multiple names in mind, and the answer is yes. Okay, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time this evening. And still ahead, Georgia Republicans are finding it's a little bit harder to suppress Americans' voting rights than they thought it might have been. But first, it's tonight's absolute worst, and boy, do we have a worthy pick. Stay right there.
Ron Johnson. He's a Republican senator from Wisconsin who put forth the ridiculous conspiracy theory that the MAGA mob who attacked the Capitol, well, they were really just fake Trump supporters pulling a prank on us. Haha. I guess nobody was buying that theory because Johnson is now trying a new approach. He's speaking from his heart. In a radio interview last week, Johnson told us what he really thinks of the violent insurrectionists of January 6th, essentially defending them as model citizens. Never mind that they laid siege to the Capitol, leaving five people dead. The real threat, according to Johnson, is Black Lives Matter. On January 6th, I never felt threatened because I didn't. I knew those are people that love this country, that uh, truly respect law enforcement, would never do anything to, to break a law. And so I wasn't concerned. Now, had the tables been turned, Joe, this could be in trouble. Had the tables been turned and President Trump won the election, and those were tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters, I might have been a little concerned. In other words, Ron Johnson is more afraid of black people seeking racial justice than the violent majority white mob that tried to decapitate our government. That's the kind of overt bigotry that even racists used to utter only in private or from under white hoods. But let's take a look at the insurrectionists whom Johnson broadly described as loving this country. They would seem to include this guy who was arrested for breaching the Capitol in January. He's an army reservist and, if it isn't already apparent from that mustache, is apparently an Adolf Hitler enthusiast. This is a guy who, according to an eyewitness, said Hitler should have finished the job. And he allegedly believes that babies born with any deformities or disabilities should be shot in the forehead. Doesn't sound like somebody you'd invite over to a post-vax barbecue, but as Ron Johnson's comments would suggest, he loves this country just like you or me or, say, I don't know, senators who spend their independence days in Moscow, where the Kremlin is, like Ron Johnson. According to Johnson, it wasn't scary at all that extremists were chanting, hang my pants, or that the lynch mob erected an actual gallows with a noose on the National Mall. Ron Johnson said he's not afraid of people who wear sweatshirts that say Camp Auschwitz. No, no. And he definitely wasn't scared of those who beat police officers so severely that they were left with concussions, severe, severed fingers, and a gouged out eyeball. No, no, no. Ron Johnson says those people truly respected law enforcement. I guess that also includes the two arrested yesterday for assaulting Brian Sicknick, the U.S. Capitol Police officer, who later died from the injuries he sustained that day. Apparently all of that is A-OK in the world of Ron Johnson. And the silence from members of his own party, yeah, well, that means they don't disagree with him either, apparently. And I guess old Ron running from the Capitol that day along with everyone else was like, you know, it was like Josh Hawley's fist pump, only with his legs. I mean, he wasn't too cowardly to face his zip tie and bear spray wielding America loving friends. No, he was just enthusiastic on his feet. Today, Johnson insisted there was nothing racial about what he said. And he's accusing his critics of playing the race card. Which completely, coincidentally, is exactly what people who say racist things claim, other than, ooh, I had a, an attack of the sugars, when it's pointed out that what they said was racist. Crazy how that works. And that's why Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, you are the absolute worst. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. 
The GOP is increasing their efforts to suppress the vote ahead of the 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential election. Unable to compete on a level playing field, they're actively trying to turn back the clock to the Jim Crow era. Of the 24 states with Republican majorities and governors, all but two are racing to pass new voting restrictions. According to the Brennan Center, 11 are attempting to place new restrictions on mail-in voting. Nine are seeking to expand purges of the voter rolls, and eight are attempting to implement stricter voting ID laws. As Politico reports, this wave of proposed measures stem from the former president's big lie that the election was stolen. In short, bills are being introduced to prevent something that didn't happen in 2020, widespread voter fraud. In fact, a lawyer for the Arizona state GOP said as much before the Supreme Court. He didn't defend voting restrictions as a way to prevent fraud. He admitted their objective is to help Republicans win elections. What's the interest of the Arizona RNC here in keeping, say, the out-of-precinct uh, um, voter dis- ballot disqualification rules on the books? Because it puts us at a competitive disadvantage relative to Democrats. Politics is a zero-sum game. But perhaps the most notorious state is Georgia, where the GOP's proposed measures could easily have cost Joe Biden his victory. And now civil rights and activist groups are turning up the pressure on large Georgia companies like Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines to oppose sweeping voting restrictions. Among those groups is Black Voters Matter, one of several that's asking supporters to directly contact CEOs, presidents and headquarters of major Georgia based corporations. And joining me now is Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter. Uh, and uh, Latasha, it's always great to talk with you. So you have changed can't stop, can't stop, won't stop to not just me voting, but also can't stop, won't stop terrifying corporations in the state of Georgia. Um, these are just some of the groups that are being targeted by your organizations and others, um, Aflac, Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, Home Depot, Southern Company, and UPS via the Chamber of Commerce. What has been the response from these corporations to your efforts to get them to stand up against these voting restrictions? You know, over the weekend, the Chamber, the Georgia Chamber of Commerce put out a statement a statement that, in fact, all of these companies were members of the chamber. You know, what we're saying is that it's good that they have a statement. Uh, that's a good first start. But what we need is we actually need, we need action. They all have political leverage. These are major Fortune 500 companies. Where is Delta Airlines? Where is UPS? Where are those companies that are based right here in the state of Georgia, that we work with them, we work for them, we're in management, we're on their boards, but we're also consumers. And so what we're saying is that while the statements are good, you know, what we need is we there are eight days left um, in the legislature. What we're seeing is we're seeing these draconian bills that will impact not just black voters, but will undermine democracy. And so we expect these corporate citizens to stand with us. Well, so let's just remind people of what these laws are that are are being jammed through um, the state legislature. They would limit voting by mail to only people age 65 and up or disabled who are away from home. They have new voter ID requirements for absentee voting. They'd limit the hours. Uh, they'd end automatic voting registration, ban drop boxes, move up deadlines. So there's lots of ways that would directly impact communities of color. What specifically do you want these corporations to do? Is this about them not donating to Republican politicians who support these laws? Or is there something else specifically that you want them to do? There are three things that we're asking you requesting. One, we're asking them to immediately 
to stop the bills, the anti-suppression, voter suppression bills that are faced in the Georgia legislature right now, that they have the political leverage and power to be able to stand with us to stop that. And so they should step up to stop those bills. The second thing we're saying is to divest, to divest into divest from those candidates, those Republicans who continuously know that they're standing on the big line and they're actually putting these bills forth. They should divest their resources from them to send a strong message that we're not going back and that we're standing for democracy. And the third thing is that these are also national and international companies. So they have a tremendous amount of power, not just in Georgia, but also on the federal level. And so that we're asking that they also support H.R. 1 and the complete restoration of the John Lewis Advancement Act. And uh, just the question then becomes, or what? So the, the New Georgia Project, which is one of the groups that's allied with you, they've just put up a couple of new ones. Hey, Home Depot, be a hero and defend Georgians' freedom to vote. You can do it. And then there's one going up um, for Coca-Cola as well. It was just tweeted out earlier. So that's what those field bars are going to look like. What's the or what, Latasha? Is this, are these companies facing boycotts, potential consumer boycotts, if they don't stand up against these laws? And is this something that you want to roll out beyond Georgia? You know, we are seeing these ads and this effort as an opportunity for them. This wasn't meant to be some kind of punitive way. We should say that we believe that it is just common sense that if and we want to have a stable democracy, democracy is good for business. That when you have a stable government, it is good for business. And so fundamentally, what we are saying is that they are part of the ecosystem. They cannot stand on the sidelines. It is not the responsibility of black people to support them, always have to literally fight for democracy. But this is about all of us. This is about all of our democratic rights. All throughout the weekend, there have been different people who have been contacting as consumers, saying what it is that they would like to see. And so the or what is we're not going to stop. We're going to continue to put pressure. We do have consumer power. We do have, as, as citizens of this country, as citizens in Georgia, we can put political pressure as well. And just as we stand with them, we we want them to stand with us. Well, this worked in South Africa. I mean, in theory, if let's say Coca-Cola and UPS said no, would you would you recommend that African-Americans and those who support voting rights continue to buy Coca-Cola and use UPS? You know, I believe that we should stand with those companies that stand with us. I believe that as we are doing this work, that this is no longer the fact that we're in 2021 and we're actually looking at voter suppression bills that even the New York Times said are the worst bills that we face since Reconstruction. It is not acceptable that any company that would not come out in the full, their full power to support us, why would we continue to support them? Latasha Brown, um, thank you very much from Black Voters Matter. Really appreciate you being here tonight. Uh, and before we go, the Grammys were held last night and women swept the top categories. Beyonce won her 28th Grammy for her Juneteenth tribute, Black Parade, making her the most awarded woman in Grammy history. Her won Song of the Year for her song honoring George Floyd, I Can't Breathe. Taylor Swift won Album of the Year. And my friend, my pal and colleague, Rachel Maddow, won Best Spoken Word Album for Blowout. Yes! Congratulations, Rachel. Woo, that is great. That is the readout. So happy. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 
25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.